Thank you for downloading this episode of a History of Central Florida podcast. This is the podcast where we explore Central Florida's history through the artifacts found in local area museums and historical societies. This series is brought to you by Riches, the regional initiative to collect the histories, experiences, and stories of Central Florida, and the Orange County Regional History Center. I'm Kendra Hazen, and I will be your host for today's episode titled Diploma Plate. The Diploma Plate featured in this episode is made out of stainless steel and is approximately 8 inches by 11 inches wide. It was used in 1970 to award degrees to the first class of graduates at Florida Technological University, or FTU, now known as the University of Central Florida. This plate, while serving a utilitarian purpose, symbolizes something much more than an ornamented piece of paper conferring a degree. It is emblematic of a shift in higher education that expanded the reach and access to people who would not have had the opportunity to receive an advanced education. Dr. Christopher Loss from Vanderbilt University tells us about this post-World War II shift in higher education. I think uh, there is a conscious effort to increase the uh, educational attainment level uh, of citizens in the post-war period. There's a sense, uh, thanks to the GI Bill, that uh, older age students, students that uh, typically would not have gone to college were now capable of not only going to college but succeeding quite well while in college and graduating uh, with a degree and contributing to the uh, national economy uh, and to uh, other aspects of American life in in ways that had not been uh, readily available prior to the war. And so when we talk about the democratization of uh, educational opportunity in the United States, I think it really involves a couple of things. One, making aid available to students uh, so they can afford college. And this happens thanks to the GI Bill, but also the National Defense Education Act of 1958 and then the 1965 Higher Education Act. And ever since 1965, we've really had three main pillars of education funding available to aid students, loans, grants, and of course, work study. Uh, And so I think that's one way to think about democratization of higher education. The other is the creation of lots more institutions, especially two-year institutions and what we call now uh, regional comprehensive colleges and universities uh, in order to make the reality of college going much more accessible, especially uh, in uh, urban centers uh, and in previously underserved areas. During the 1950s and 1960s, when FTU was founded, the legislature opened new public universities to accommodate the urban sunbelt growth in places like Miami, Tampa, Jacksonville, Pensacola, and Boca Raton, so the student population did not have to travel to a college town far away. With this came a change in the demographic characteristics of students who enrolled. Someone who epitomized this new wave of student was Rita Riley Underwood. Miss Underwood was part of that first class at FTU, and unlike students in earlier generations, she had a career as a homemaker. She tells us what inspired her to enroll in college and to come to FTU when it opened in 1968. Well, at the time, I was in my 40s. I thought when my children got in school, I would play golf. However, when the teachers went on strike, I thought, surely I can make a contribution 
So I started at Orlando Junior College in the day, Rollins at night while my husband was home, and then transferred to FTU. And I especially enjoyed engineering and wondered later uh, why I didn't choose that major. Mostly there were young people, and at the time the Vietnam War was on, and um, it was very interesting to chat with them with their uh, leather jackets with a fist on the back and had several conversations with them, all very pleasant and interesting. Uh, the parking lot was so sandy that by the time one got to school, we were filled with sand. Uh, I remember that distinctly. And there were a few buildings there. In fact, I think there was one, the library. And uh, uh, that's where most of our activities took place. Like Miss Underwood, Joyce Hart Perkins was a homemaker who returned to college after her children went off to school. She lived in Brevard County, and her husband was employed in the space program. She tells us how intimidating it was for her and why a commuter school like FTU gave her an opportunity to finish her degree. I was scared silly. I figured I'd be competing against all those bright young things, and I just, uh, plus it was a major task to uh, manage my family and the commute and, uh, um, and studies. In fact, the first time I took a full quarter, I was so devastated that first week that I, oh, I had to have do some soul searching and decide, okay, you can do this. You have to do it one day at a time. And I did, and I got A's that quarter, straight A's, the highest grade point average I ever had at school. I would say there were at least a third of us my age and uh, up uh, coming back to school because FTU really filled a need for that. A demographic. At that time, I don't think there were any dorms, so everybody commuted. As Dr. Loss mentioned, with programs like the GI Bill, this would see veterans making up a large number of the students at colleges and universities across the country. We spoke with Dr. Robert Bledsoe, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Central Florida, who was among the first faculty hired in 1968. He tells us about the role veterans played as part of the student population. When they would do the profile of students in terms of the average age uh, or the median age, I guess, uh, yeah, it was up in the up in the twenties. Uh, but what we got, uh, in addition to the typical, you know, straight out of high school or community college student, uh, an awful lot of veterans. And so those early years in our classes. Uh, were populated uh, by a large number of uh, people coming back from uh, their tour in Vietnam, and that really made for a very, very rich uh, classroom environment in in the in that earlier period. Uh, these were people who had been there and done that, and so when they came back to go to school, they were deadly earnest in in what they were doing, and that, I think that kind of uh, prodded the more traditional kind of student that in many cases was sort of going to la-di-da their way through and then they met these people their age that had ages of maturity beyond them and that, that they, those were good role models for them. The path to college was not always a straight line. Mike Canavan tells us about his journey from the military to classes at FTU. 
uh, out of high school, I joined the Army. I spent three years in the Army, and when I got out of the service, I worked for uh, the city of Orlando. I was actually a cop for a little over two years and uh, decided that's not what I wanted to do the rest of my life, so I uh, took a leave of absence. My original plan was to go to Florida State. Because I was a graduate of uh, Seminole Junior College, and the timing was such that uh, 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 the, the university had, had was, was being built while I was going to the junior college, uh, and it was ready when I graduated. So instead of going to Florida State, I just went to, uh, at that time, it was uh, FTU. Similar to other emerging universities during this time, FTU depended upon the flow of students from two-year colleges across the state. Richard King was one of those students, and he tells us what motivated him to attend FTU. I got out of the Air Force. I was stationed in Germany for a couple of years in the United States, and I had I came back to the United States, and I was looking for a school to go to, preferably a junior college, and I researched all of them, and uh, St. Pete Junior College came up as one of the leaders uh, in that kind of a school. So I went ahead and enrolled there, and I spent about uh, two and a half years um, going to school there. And then after I, after that, uh, after I completed my coursework, I transferred to Florida Technical Technological University, which I chose because it was an upstart university, and um, I think it was pioneering a lot of unique things, or trying to. And I thought I'd like to get on the ground floor of that. And I grew up in Orlando. So that was another thing that attracted me to Orlando and the school. But um, that, that's the initial thing. Is uh, I think it would be so unique to get into a college that it was just starting up and to be a part of that process. Um, there was just a lot of unique mix of folks there, uh, some young, some old. And, uh, and that was the part of the attraction, too. You can learn a lot from either the young or the old. So um, it, it was a very unique experience. Dr. Loss explains how these new urban universities were connected to the economic growth and industrial base of the local community. Not only is it uh, because of the rapid growth of the uh, uh, population of the state of Florida, uh, which is also a post-war story, uh, but also the uh, incredible influx of science and technology uh, funding from the federal government, specifically the emergence of NASA uh, as a major uh, government priority uh, in the late 50s and throughout the 1960s, and Florida becomes a main beneficiary of uh, the NASA space program uh, with the creation of the Kennedy um, spa Space Center. Here, Dr. Bloodsoe tells us about the emphasis on the hard sciences and engineering during that first year. The primary rationale for FTU at that time was uh, since we were located uh, generally in the area of the Space Coast. That's why it was called Florida Tech. This was going to be essentially a major engineering and science institution connected with the with the with NASA and with the coast. Uh, 
Uh, so for many of us that were hired, we were primarily going to be service people, the, the social sciences, history. We were going to be a full-blown university, but the emphasis in generating degrees was going to be in the sciences. Uh, we were primarily charged with making sure that the students at FTU got a very personalized learning experience. They didn't even have a political science major that first semester because they didn't figure students were going to come here for the social sciences. But by the spring of that first year, the second semester then and uh, the spring of 69, they had to create a major uh, even though we were part of the history department uh, back then. It would be no surprise that astronaut John Young was invited to be the commencement speaker at the first graduation ceremony in June of 1970. That ceremony was held at the Municipal Auditorium in Orlando, and 423 students graduated that day. President Charles Milliken, who presided over the event, estimated that roughly 3,000 people attended. Dr. Loss tells us why this growth of affordable education through commuter schools like FTU were so important to the post-war baby boom generation. And by the 1960s, there is uh, a palpable sense uh, that uh, higher education is really uh, becomes sort of an expectation uh, for the children uh, of middle-class uh, families and, frankly, for, for the children of, of all families. Um, and uh, in the 1960s, uh, the college enrollments go from about 4 million to 8 million. Uh, this is the baby boom generation. And in advance of that increasing demand for higher education, state systems around the country really build out uh, their network of uh, publicly supported colleges and universities. And the University of Central Florida is, of course, part of that uh, ramping up that goes on in the 1960s uh, and so on. Uh, for the most part, it's been a, a continuous and rapid growth of higher education. The diploma plate helps tell a story of a university and a region whose growth and reach were intertwined. As the university's academic scope expanded to encompass other disciplines, FTU was renamed the University of Central Florida in 1978. Although initial enrollment in 1968 was only around 2,000 students, as of 2014, the student enrollment at UCF is over 60,000. Representing 140 countries, all 50 states, and the District of Columbia. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of A History of Central Florida podcast. If you would like to see these and other items that tell the history of Central Florida, you can visit the University of Central Florida Library at 12701 Pegasus Drive, Orlando, Florida 32816. Make sure to join us for our next episode, Mickey's Ears. <laughs>